You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you have your uh, Bible, if you'd like to open up to Luke chapter 2. Be starting in verse 39 here in a moment. This has, it's been an interesting week and an interesting cold. I love my neighbor yesterday. He said, it's, it's a violent cold. And I'm like, that's actually a great way to describe what we've experienced, what we're walking through. It is, there's a violence uh, to the cold that we're going through. I was even at home this week. Uh, working in my office, and I had two sweaters on, a toque, uh, drinking warm tea, the furnace is going, and a space heater, and uh, I was cold still. Maybe it's just me, maybe I don't have proper blood flow, but uh, there's something to this cold. And sometimes, actually, that can be like us spiritually, where it doesn't matter what we do, we have a coldness to God and a coldness to the things of the Lord, and... uh, you know, like, it can be hard to get going. We're like, man, I know I should pray, but I, I just don't feel like it right now. Or, or I see the Bible. I know I should open it. I should read it, but I, I kind of just don't want to right now. And there's lots of reasons why we can get cold towards the Lord. Um, we need our souls warm to God, like continually. And I, and I pray that this would be the case this morning, that through his word, by the spirit, God, God would warm our souls to him again. And again, just like, thank you for taking the, the time, and, and I pray this would be beneficial for all of us, for our souls, that after we proclaim the word, as we've already sang songs, and we'll sing another song, we'll fellowship, we'll be warmed more so to the Lord than when we first came. And so I'm going to pray accordingly for that, if you want to bow with me. Oh God, uh, thank you for this time, this opportunity. I've just been reminded a lot lately how the, the freedoms that we have here in Canada uh, to meet when brothers and sisters can't around the world. Oh Lord, we thank you for a warm place to meet when it's so cold outside. But Lord, we, more than being physically warm, Lord, we want to be spiritually warm to you. And so we pray... Holy Spirit, that you would do that work in us, that you would speak through me uh, here this morning. Lord, I ask for your anointing. I pray for clarity. I pray for courage. Lord, I, I pray that you just allow me to be clear. And, and by your Spirit, through your word, preached, O oh Lord, pierce our hearts. Allow us to see our, not only our need for Jesus, but the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that we would rest in his work, that we would uh, be drawn to him, that we'd be filled more with your love, O God. Only you can do this, and we pray that you would be at work now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to uh, stand with me as we read God's word, Kind of for context, we're going to start in verse 39 and read to verse 52. 
And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were turning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know about it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. Ultimately, this, this passage that we're looking at here this morning uh, is a link between the birth narratives and, and the ministry of Jesus starting in John the Baptist, right? You have John the Baptist's story and him being born and there's songs and celebration. You have the, the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and then, of course, we know uh, the, the birth of Jesus and the shepherds came and the angels sang and uh, the celebration there. And then last week we looked at Jesus being brought into the temple. And then we have this kind of this story in between. Jesus is, he's 12 years old, takes place in Jerusalem. And then after that, chapter 3, John the Baptist appears on the scene. And it's like Jesus is 30. Right? So there's this link between these two stories. Between the narrative, getting, like getting to Jesus' ministry, that's the focus of the Gospels, that's the focus of everyone's Gospel, Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his life, and obviously the focus going to the cross. So it's interesting though, in Luke's Gospel though, you have this, this story, when he was 12 years old. It's linking the two uh, stories together. Again, look there at 39, as they return from the temple. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. I want you just to, to notice, like this is the only passage we have written about Jesus' youth. It's interesting that there were fake writings that came, apocryphal writings in the second century, third century, and they wanted to fill in the gaps they wanted to fill in what we do not know about Jesus in his youth. And they made Jesus do all these miraculous things. And they're, they're false. They're not, not, not true. But there's this gap that we actually don't know what life was like. We have this one story in Luke's gospel. So people are like, well, we want to fill in what we don't know. And so they just made up stories along the way. Interesting even like, like what Matthew talks about in Matthew chapter 2 of the wise men coming 
uh, and bringing their gifts, like Luke doesn't even mention it. We're not sure exactly even when that happened in, in Luke's writing. It seems like they would have went back to Bethlehem and then went to Nazareth. Luke doesn't cover those details. He has this one story, and I think the story is he wants us to see Jesus grew up. And it's more than that, but he does want us to see that. It's a theme that runs through this. In, in verse 40, even the word used uh, to describe Jesus, the child. I, I want you to see that. In verse 16, of course, talking about Jesus, here, first he's a baby. Now at this point, he's a child, like he's an, a toddler. Like that, that's, that's the word that's used, and he'll continue to use different words to describe Jesus. We see Jesus growing up. Think about this. Jesus had a set of baby teeth and lost them, like all of us, and then grew adult teeth, right? Like, and it doesn't say that, but we're like, Jesus was growing up, right? He, the child grew and became strong. Jesus went from wobbly walking to running confidently, right? Like, you know, like little toddlers as they're running, and you're like, oh, man, they're going to fall, and they do. But that's how God ordained it because then they're so low to the ground, right? When they don't have their balance, like they're figuring things out. Jesus went through that, and he, but he grew up. And you're like, well, why is that important? You're going to see why that is important as we go on. But I want you to kind of see that and think through that all throughout. This is just telling us about Jesus, what he did as he grew up. And what did he do? Well, Look at verses 41 to 46 with me. Jesus grew up and he was celebrating the Passover. In verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Like this isn't surprising that his parents would do this. This is what Jewish males were called to do. Uh, in the book of Exodus, in, in chapter 23, verses 14 to 17, Moses uh, God, through Moses, gave the people these commands, Exodus 23, 14 to 17. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. It's the Passover. As I commanded you, you shall not eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest. It's Pentecost. Of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering, the feast of booths. At the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor, three times in the year you shall, shall all your males appear before the Lord. So they were called to keep the Passover. We talked about this last week, but if you weren't here, uh, if, if you've grown up in the church, you know about the Passover. The, the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt, and God's like, I'm going to take my people out of Egypt. I'm going to show that I am the most powerful. I'm going to show that I am the Lord, that the Egyptian gods have nothing upon me. And there's these nine plagues that decimated Egypt. But the tenth one, right, was the Passover, that there's going to be an angel of, of God, angel of the Lord, was going to go through the land. He's going to kill the firstborn. Everyone from the prince uh, in Egypt, from, the, from Pharaoh to, his, to the slave. But God said to his people, in, in faith, I want you to go get a lamb, right? We talked about this, a, a lamb that's unblemished. And I want you to kill the lamb and to take the blood and put it on the doorpost, and the angel of the Lord will pass over uh, that home. I'm going to spare you. And then God 
took his people out of Egypt. And he's like, now, every year after, I want you to remember what I did for you, that you are my people, that I took you out. On the, on the day of the Passover, they were to go and again sacrifice a lamb. And they were to ce- celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were to have their bread without leaven. They didn't have time for it. They had to leave in haste. And they were to remember what God did for them every single year in Jerusalem. Interesting about Jerusalem. So everyone was always descending upon Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. Uh, the estimates are the population would increase from 100,000 to like 250,000. Or more, people would just descend upon Jerusalem. Think about all the animals that would be there that like, aren't going to be there much longer uh, after the, the time. And all these people. So I, I was thinking, I'm like, if you were an extrovert, you're like, this is great. There's so many people everywhere. If you're an introvert, if you know that, you don't really like big crowds, like, it would have been a hard place to be because there have just been people everywhere, animals everywhere, Roman soldiers everywhere, priests like bumping shoulders is a big celebration. It happened every year. From Nazareth, from where they left, to Jerusalem, it was about 130 kilometers. About a three to four day journey. It was going uphill. It was about a 400 meter descent up into Jerusalem. And so it would have been like quite a journey to make it there. But what did it say about his parents? His parents went to Jerusalem every year. Every year. And there was a command for males to do that. There wasn't a command for females to do that. But it seems like his parents went every single year. Doesn't it seem a bit religious to always do something every year? I, I just want you to think about this for a sec. We are, we are so against religiosity. We're like just doing something. But think about religion can actually be good. Right? Like no one's going to like be mad at someone if they exercise religiously. You're like, yeah, I, I don't miss a day or I don't miss my, my times in the week. I exercise. Or, or they eat healthy religiously. You're like, really? Like, no, no, that's a, that's a good thing that people would do. Uh, habits that are, are good for them. Like, think about, because sometimes we're like, well, we shouldn't do it. Just do it to do it. Like, what about cele- for those of us who are married, celebrating our anniversaries? Well, we shouldn't just celebrate them because that's religious. This is what I'm, I'm trying to get at. Like they did something every year, but it's a good thing sometimes to have these habits ingrained. Like we're gathered together today on a Sunday. It's, it's freezing outside. <laughs> it's, it's somewhat religious <laughs> that we gather together, that we're like, no, no, we're still going to get together. But there's a blessing in doing that. Like, like the habits of praying and reading the Bible. We're, we're like, I, I want to get into the habit where I'm going to do it every day. Of course, we don't want to just like check off the brain and just like, yeah, come, sit down, like church, go, leave, or like go, open up my Bible, close it. I don't even know what I read. We don't want that. But the habits themselves, religious habits, are actually good, led by the Spirit of God. And I think we see that in, in Mary and Joseph. It wasn't just like, well, we got to go to Jerusalem. It's like they were faithful in doing that, and that was a, a good thing. And we have this, I already mentioned, but it says in, in verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. We're not certain if, if Jesus had attended previously. It doesn't say, but we know for sure that he was, as he's 12, he was coming. 
Uh, one commentator, David Garland, notes this, the age of 12 was regarded as the age of discernment. In the Jewish tradition, a boy became a man at age 13 and was fully responsible for keeping the law. So if he hadn't been before, maybe they were bringing him, like, you need to see, you need to be part of this celebration. But I imagine how we saw how faithful his parents were to keeping the law in the previous verses, taking him to the temple, uh, doing the sacrifices needed. I, I bet you he was already had been there. But it's highlighted here at this point in time, Jesus is 12 years old, and he's going to Jerusalem. In verse 43, 43 it says, And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Again, Luke, he's using a different word. Uh, in, in verse 40, he uses like child, like toddler. Now he uses boy, like Jesus is growing up. Or like just a, a, a male who's maybe just, just before his adolescence, 12 years old. You need to see that described in the text. Jesus is growing up. It's important for us to see that. Luke continues to note the progression. But I love this, verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And they didn't find him, right? Like, it's kind of like the vi- it takes a village to raise a child. Like, there was a big caravan of people, family, friends, acquaintances. Like, because think about that mass influx into Jerusalem, but after those eight days, now everyone's, like, moving out. So there would have been, like, this mass amount of people on roads, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, Jesus is with so-and-so, and they're walking and talking, and, and then they're like, have you seen Jesus? And they're like, as they make their way through the crowd, eventually they're like, we don't know where he is. They finally notice that. I love this. Uh, has anyone ever made a mistake like this with their child, like no hands raised <laughs> between, between you and the Lord? You forgot them somewhere. You didn't pick them up, whatever that is. It's very human. I love this because last week I really highlighted Joseph and Mary are faithful parents. And we need to see that faithful parents are not perfect parents. Right? Like, I need to hear that. I don't know if you need to hear that. Faithful parents are not perfect parents. And so I, I, we see the humanness of Mary and Joseph, and they're like, wow, where's Jesus? And they, they return back to Jerusalem. And it says, after three days, they found him in the temple. And that three days probably means more like as they were leaving, that was like the first day. Then they realized he wasn't there. Then they had to make another day return. And then on that third day, they found him. I think that's more what's saying in the text. It wasn't that they were in Jerusalem, like, looking for three days. Finally, like, wait, we should check out the temple and found him. It's, it's, I think that's how it, the time is recorded there. And, and when, when they go, when we're thinking about the temple, the temple is like this massive complex. He was, it was somewhere within the temple. Uh, James Edwards was helpful here. The temple is comprised of, from four divisions, the court of Gentiles, the court of women, the court of Israel and the Holy of Holies. It was an open-air quadrangle of 35 acres. Truthfully, I had to look up quadrangle. I'm just this confession to you guys. But uh, I don't know if, if many people are aware of what a quadrangle is. It's, well, you got to look it up yourself. But uh, <laughs> it's a, this big area, 35 acres. I'm like, I didn't realize it was that big. And within that area, there's like the temple where they would sacrifice animals, but there's also like money changers. There was... Um, Basically, like a banking-like system. There's a place that the Sanhedrin met somewhere else. There was even a synagogue. 
where they'd met. Maybe that's where they found Jesus. It doesn't describe it. Mark, it uses the word for temple like this broad area within the 35 acres of the quadrangle. I just wanted to say it again a second time. <laughs> and so Jesus, he came to Jerusalem. He, he never left it. And where did they find him? I want you to see this. Jesus growing up, a 12-year-old Jesus was sitting with the teachers. In 46, I want you to see this, that he was sitting among the teachers. He was listening to them. He was asking them questions. And who are these teachers? They were teachers of the law. Think like scribes. And even when I'm thinking, like, who are these people be that Jesus would be listening to, I immediately thought of Psalm 119. And in, in your Bible, like Psalm 119, that's like in the middle of our Bible, uh, it's all about the Word of God. It's, it's all about just giving reverence to the Word of God. And so I just like, just, I just kind of turn there and just a few verses. Like, these are the scribes that he would be speaking to Jesus. This would be their conviction. Psalm 119, 97 to 104. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not... Turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. The, the teachers that Jesus was sitting under would have ascribed to Psalm 119. They would have been living 119. They would have loved God's word. They would have been talking about God's word, his law, his commandments, and, and basically talking about how do you live it out. How do you obey it? Interesting, I love MacArthur points this out. Only here does Luke use this Greek word to refer to Jesus' teachers, Jewish teachers, sorry. In the rest of the gospel, the term is reserved once for John the Baptist or Jesus. And after Jesus is called the teacher, no one else is called a teacher. But Jesus is 12 years old at this point. He's growing up. He's sitting under the teachers. He was growing in wisdom. We see this. This is his humanity. He's growing up. He's sitting among the teachers. He's listening to them. He's asking questions. What we see here is just he's actively learning. He's seeking, seeking to grow from these scribes, these sages. Jesus was hungry to learn more. Like, think about that. Jesus is a 12-year-old. In his humanity, he couldn't get enough. He's sitting there taking it in. He's got a hunger to learn, to grow. I think this is, a, this is actually a good lesson for us in our Christianity, even maybe here this morning. Come and sit, but some just do step one. <laughs> step two, and then to listen. And then not only just listen, but then ask questions. And I know this is like, I'm just talking. You're not asking questions. Write down questions. Interact with what's being said to you. Question everything. Is it found in Scripture? There's a, we can just come. You could come for year in, year out, and just come and sit down. 
You could even come 52 week, weeks in a year, and, but if you're not listening as you're sitting, you're, you're missing what God would have to teach you. I think we can learn something about how Jesus was learning, how he was desiring to grow. He was living what Solomon subscribed to his son. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, I think this is a good description that we should follow. Jesus did follow it. So in Proverbs, Solomon is like, wants to pass on wisdom to his son. He gives this advice in Proverbs chapter 2, 1 to 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, like sitting and listening. Verse 3, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You will find the knowledge of God. Jesus was doing that. He was, he was following how you're supposed to grow in wisdom, in his humanity. Sitting, listening, asking questions. But he was doing more than that. Look at verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. People respond through Luke's gospel with amazement over and over again at who he is and what he does. Think about the, the shepherds who heard, who were proclaiming what Jesus did in, in 2 verse 18. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary and Joseph, when they, they heard and what uh, Simeon was proclaiming about Jesus, they wondered, they were amazed. All throughout Luke's gospel, when, when Jesus came back to Nazareth and they're preaching like, isn't this the carpenter's son? And they're amazed at his teaching. When Jesus calms the storm, right? When he gets into the boat and he says to the wind and the waves, be still, his disciples were amazed. They're, who is this guy? When he cast out demons, everyone, the crowd, the people. So that was like, this was the norm that was to happen. The thing we have to see right here, that I, everything I just spoke of, after Jesus was a baby, that was during his ministry years. And right now he's, he's 12 years old. Jesus was growing up, though. Verses 48 to 50, growing in understanding. Was he growing in understanding? There's a, I have a question mark there, and you'll see why uh, here in a second. So I love that his parents, they found him. They found him in the temple in 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Like they were overwhelmed. Not because they just found him, but because of, I think, the conversation that's going on. Because of they're seeing him, they're seeing the wisdom that's in Jesus. And their mouths were just like wide open, like, wait, is, what? What is going on? And they're also like quite, quite happy, right? They hadn't had their son for quite some time. But I want you to see a, a loving look turns to a loving rebuke. So they were astonished when they saw him. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Remember, I've been pointing out along that before the term was for child, toddler, then it was for like an adolescent, pre-adolescent boy. Now it goes back to like son, like, like little boy. It, it was a strong rebuke. Like, you know, 
I don't know if you ever, with your kids, like you're happy, they're, they do something, they're kind of like, oh, they're going to be hurt, or something going to be broken, and then they're okay, and now you're like, you, what are you doing? I don't know what you say, I just, I try to stop there. <laughs> but I think that's what was happening. Mary's like, they're so happy they found Jesus, and it sounds like, son, son, what were you doing? What are you doing? You, you left us. Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. They were rebuking Jesus. And I, I want you to know Jesus' response here. And we're going we're gonna to spend more time on 49. We're actually going to stop. We're going to drill down here. Just think about this. These are the first uh, recorded words of Jesus in Luke's gospel. But Jesus says a 12-year-old, these are the earliest words of Jesus we have recorded. So I think there's actually something very significant we need to see here in verse 49. Look at Jesus' response. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Very, very interesting. Uh, apparently, Jesus' first recorded words in Luke's gospel are to his father, about his father. I must be in my father's house. Jesus' last recorded words in Luke's gospel to his disciples, await in Jerusalem till you receive uh, power from on high that my, my father is going to bring. So I, I, I switched it. Basically, there's a promise from my father. So the first recorded words in Luke's gospel, Jesus is talking about his father, my father. The last recorded words in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, my father. His relationship to God the Father is highlighted. Think about this, right? Mary says, behold, your father and I, Joseph, have been searching everywhere for you. And Jesus' response, did you not know I must be in my father's house? He was not talking about Joseph. There's this, there's this uh, contrast that is meant to be seen. Joseph felt it. We should see it as readers. Even the fact that Jesus, as he says, my father, it's noteworthy. In, the, in Jewish writings, there's nowhere found anyone saying my father. They'd say our father or, or my father in heaven. There'd be, there'd be something around that. No one would say my father. No one had that intimate relationship with God. But Jesus. But it's interesting, even as we think father, it's not father in terms of how we think father, like as in the one who gave birth to you, the one who helped create you. That's not the sense in which that's his father. Right? Because Jesus is eternal. He's the second member of the Trinity. God. And yet man. I found MacArthur helpful here when he talks about son. Son does not refer to origin for Jesus, but to nature. The term is used to refer to Jesus Christ to establish his being of the same essence and nature with the same rights and privileges as God himself. And, and as you think about that, Jesus, you have the Father who's God, you have the Son who's God, you have the Holy Spirit as God, the, the Trinity. Three distinct persons, one essence, all God, one God. And it's, and it's hard to grasp, and I don't expect you to be like, yeah, it's totally clear. But just think like Christians... 
for like hundreds of years were wrestling through this. And there were false teachings that would come in about Jesus. And they're like, wait a second, that's not true. What is true? And they wrestled through it. And then we have different creeds describing of what we'd believe of Jesus. The Nicene Creed, Athanasius Creed. I would encourage you to even read that. But we have here Jesus, when he says, my father, he's showing he's one with God. And no one else had a relationship like that. So the, the question is, as, as Jesus says this, as a 12-year-old, how much did he know? Right? I'm, I'm going to keep pointing. As a human growing up, he was learning. He, he was understanding. When was he consciously aware of who he was? We don't know. Theologians can wait in here, but I think saying, I don't know, is the truest answer. But just think about this. Already at 12 years old, he was aware. So I'm saying, like, when was it, when was it previous? Because, like, Jesus is a baby. I don't, like, I don't think he was aware. He had to grow consciously as a human. And I know it's hard to wrap your mind around those, those concepts, but at 12 years old, he knew who he was. I had to be in my father's house. And, and, and in this statement is even more than that. When he said, do you not know I must be in my father's house? He had to be about his father's will. His father's will was his will. I must be. This, this term, I must be, or maybe other translations, it is necessary. Is Luke uses this phrase throughout the gospel, to show God's plan being accomplished in Christ. I just want to show you a few places. Uh, Luke 9.22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Luke 13.33 Jesus says, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish, perish away from Jerusalem. And there's other examples, but every time Jesus uses this phrase, I must, or it is necessary, he's continually fulfilling God's plan. And so interestingly, he says, I must be in my father's home, my father's house. He's continually accomplishing his father's will. Even this, this, this phrase, I must be in my father's house, James Edwards is helpful here. The expression which occurs only here in the Bible literally means I must be about the things or business or affairs of my father. This is, suggests a more comprehensive understanding of God. Like for sure, the reason why all our translations have I must be in my father's house is because it was about a certain locale, a certain place. But it's actually, he's saying, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's will. I have to be. That's what Jesus is confessing. confessing. That's what Jesus was about. He was about the business of his father. The question is, whose business are we about, our own or God's? Whose will are we seeking to accomplish? Whose kingdom are we wanting to build? Often, it's our own. But how, how can we know God's will? How can we be about his business? And friends, it's quite simply, it's the word of God. 
The Word of God makes God's will clear to us. And I just want to point this out to you. We need to keep, continually be in the Word so it renews our hearts and our mind. Romans 12, Romans 12, 2. And, and I'm skipping ahead. It says, as in all 12 chapters of Romans, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we're not like Jesus. We're not like, hey, I know clearly exactly what is God's will, what is his business, and I want to be about it. But it says there in Romans 12, 2, that our minds can be renewed by the word. Our minds can be renewed by scripture, and then we can discern and know what is God's goodwill. We can live it. The goal for our lives is that our will would be submitted to God's. And that as we are changed in our lives to be more like Jesus Christ, our desires, our hopes, and our dreams are actually becoming God's will accomplished in our lives. And so as you grow up in Christ, as you continue to renew your mind with the Word of God, you're not always like, what's God's will? You're, you're living it. Right? Like, that's, that's the desire. That's Christian maturity. We're not searching. We're like, I'm reading Scripture. I'm seeking to be obedient. And the Holy Spirit's changing, transforming my mind and my heart and my desires. And now I'm just walking in it. And God is so good and he's so kind and he's a loving father that if all of a sudden we're going in the wrong direction, he disciplines us and brings us back in the right direction. But I'm saying he, he guides us. And it's not like oh, if you're a new Christian and you're like, I don't understand anything. Yeah, you, you need to continue to have your mind renewed. And even if you've been a Christian many years, we're not like, I'm going to stop reading God's word. I, I know now what it is. Like, no. Like, just as our, our hearts are prone to wander, our hearts get cold before the Lord. That's why we need to get warmed up. We need to be renewed continually again and again. So I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this, and I know that I see the translation, I must be in my father's house. I must be about my father's business. I'm like, amen. Amen. I want to be about God's business. I want to be about his will. And I pray all of you as well. They hear like, no, 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 that's what I want to be about today and in the days to come. So I ask that question, I don't know if we can say Jesus is growing here in his understanding of who he is. I think he already, he already knows at 12 years old. But as readers of the scripture, we are to grow in our understanding of who he is here. Right? As you're reading Luke's gospel and you get to his confession that I must be in my father's house, again, we continue to grow. We're like, who is Jesus do I believe it? Look at his parents' reaction to his statement. Maybe it's the same you're having to what I'm saying. But uh, verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. I love that. They marveled, but they didn't understand. Like that, this is Jesus, his ministry growing up. This is what he had to deal with. People always didn't understand. He, he would teach parables, and the parables were even taught so that some would know and understand and walk in it and some wouldn't but even jesus when he's with his disciples i want you to see this in luke 18 verse 31 to 34 jesus is with his disciples and he says this to them taking the 12 he said to them see we're going up to jerusalem 
And everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Look at this, verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Actually, like Luke's whole gospel, like it's bookended with people not understanding who Jesus was. Like Mary and Joseph, they're like, they're amazed, but they like, they, they don't know. And even at the end of Luke's gospel, you have like the road to Emmaus. After Jesus died, was buried in the grave, rose again, and these guys, and Jesus walking with them, and he tells them everything that happened in the Old Testament. They, they had no idea. So that was Jesus' ministry. So his parents there were just walking in what many people were going to walk in, not understanding. They didn't get what was happening or who he was, is. The question is, do we? Do we understand who Jesus is? Do you? The thing is, when you do understand who Jesus is, you want to follow him. You want to live for him. Even die for him. Right? Like, the more clearly you see who Jesus is, the more you're like, yes, I want to give my life, my everything, to knowing him, to living for him, to praising him. They did not yet have that knowledge. So Jesus is continually growing up. Kind of as the story wraps up, 51 to 52, we see Jesus submitting to his parents. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. Again, the reason why it's saying going down is because Jerusalem was 400 meters higher. Again, that three, four-day journey, but they went down physically uh, to Nazareth. And he was submissive to them. I want to, before I point that out, when it says he went down with them, them, obviously, like Mary and Joseph, in Luke's gospel, this is the last time that Jesus, uh, or that Joseph is mentioned. And so it seems like when, at some point, it's never told us, but when Jesus is in his ministry years, 30 and, and older, Joseph had already passed. But it doesn't tell us when. This is the last reference to Joseph. But Jesus, he goes down to his parents and he was, submissive to them. And, and the, the Greek word used there, it implies a habitual obedience that would be throughout his entire youth. So it wasn't just like he listened as he went down to Nazareth, like he continued to listen. He continued to be obedient to his parents. It's, notice that that word submissive in our culture is getting a, a negative connotation, Jesus to his parents. This is a positive thing. Doesn't mean he's weaker. We know who Jesus is, but he still submitted to his parents. Jesus obeyed the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, and he perfectly obeyed it. This is a word to all children. <laughs> Submit to your parents. But the thing is, we also need to, we know, we all know this too well, none of us do that perfectly or did it perfectly. Like there's no kid doesn't matter how well you raise the kids, they will not submit to their parents perfectly. Just like we saw Mary and Joseph, faithful parents, but not perfect parents. But what does it point out about Jesus? There's, only, there's one. There's one who does it perfectly. His name is Jesus. He submitted to his parents perfectly. I love, just as you pointed out before the service, uh, that it might have been easier to raise Jesus and, and absolutely, I think so, because he actually just obeyed them. 
But why is that significant? I think it's actually so significant, and I'm going to point this out, why Jesus growing up is highlighted here for us. Look at verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and men. Jesus grew. He grew in stature. He grew in age. He grew in height. He grew in his humanity. For sure, like why does Luke have it here? He's kind of closing the story uh, of, of Jesus' life, preparing to talk about his ministry. It's something very similar said about John the Baptist in, in Luke 1.80. It says about John the Baptist, the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. But Jesus, it says of him, that he grew in favor with God and, and man. It doesn't say it about John the Baptist. I just love one commentator is like, yeah, I think it's because of John's attitude <laughs> that Jesus didn't grow in relationship with other people. It could also be because he was in the wilderness by himself. It could also be because he ate locusts and honey. Uh, I don't know, but it doesn't say about John the Baptist, but it says, like it kind of closes off their, their story of their childhood to prepare for what is to come. So basically it's like we're going to continue to go. The gospel story advances but again, and maybe I haven't answered it, but I want to really fully, I want you to hear this. Why this story from a 12-year-old Jesus? Like, just think about it. In the, in the rest of the New Testament, the Gospels, we have nothing. We have this one story that Jesus, when he's 12 years old. I think God wants us to see so clearly Jesus had to grow up. He was growing as a human. But more than growing up, he had to live out the commandments. I think that's actually the most important thing. He had to live out the commandments. Right? So Jesus had to be a man if he was to represent fallen humanity. Jesus had to be faithful to the law, but in order to be faithful to the law, he had to grow up. He had to learn wisdom and walk in it. He had to have parents and, and to obey them. He had to have a relationship with other people in order to obey, in order to be a man just like you and me, but not sin. Luke lets us know Jesus grew as a human, living the perfect life in order to give his life. He had to grow up and live a life. I think that's actually what's being highlighted. Jesus is a 12-year-old, and when he went home to his parents, he was submissive to them. Jesus kept the law, right? Like, Jesus didn't just come. All of a sudden, he appears on the scene out of nowhere, and he's going to die on the cross for our sins. No, Jesus had to live a perfect life because we don't. And I think that's actually what Luke is highlighting here, that Jesus, in his humanity, as he was growing up, as he was learning, he was sinless. He was obedient to the law. He had to grow up and live a life to, in order to give his life. And, and friends, just in finishing, I, I want you to see the foreshadowing of, of what's to come here in Luke's gospel. I want to finish with this. Luke's gospel, interesting, each gospel writer, like how they orchestrate the details of the story, are, are trying to tell you specific things about Jesus. In Luke's gospel, Luke doesn't have Jesus going back to Jerusalem again until Palm Sunday. 
Right, like all this is taking place in Jerusalem. In Luke's gospel, after this, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't go into Jerusalem until the day of Palm Sunday. In fact, in Luke's gospel, his focus becomes Jerusalem. He's heading there. He knows why he came, and he's going there. But in the next time, so Jesus, he's with the teachers, and he's sitting at their feet, and he's talking to them, and he's asking questions. And there's this statement, I must be in my father's house. And in Luke's gospel, the next time Jesus is teaching in the temple, it's leading him on the pathway to the cross. Right, the story we read today, it took place at the Passover. And we, and we know when Jesus came to Jerusalem, it was on another Passover feast. And why he came at that time, he came to become the mediator between God and men. And, and friends, even the original Passover I described to you was actually just foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do. Right, like, and, and no longer just killing a lamb, but Jesus, because he lived a perfect life, was the perfect lamb. And, and, and as they killed the lamb and shed the blood, that Jesus was nailed to the cross for my sins and for yours. That his blood would cover over our sins, would pay for our, our wrongdoing. The, the lamb at the Passover had to be a lamb without blemish. Couldn't have any markings. It couldn't have anything wrong with it. Jesus lived a perfect life. That's what Luke's highlighting here, even as a 12-year-old. Jesus kept God's laws and standards perfectly. And just as in the Passover, as he took the blood and put it on the doorpost, the angel of the Lord would pass over that place, because blood was be, had been spilt, for all of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, his blood covers over us, our sin, our wrongdoing. God's judgment passes over us. It lands on Jesus. And he takes our punishment for our sins, all of our wrongdoing, it's paid for. As our Passover lamb, he takes it upon himself. Because Jesus grew up. He lived a perfect life. His life was given in place of ours that we would be forgiven and receive his perfect life by faith. And in his finished work, friends, we rest, we rejoice, we find warmth for our souls. You bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh God, I pray by your spirit, Lord, you'd apply this word to our hearts. Oh, Lord, I pray even as where I maybe struggle to give clarity to speak, oh, Lord, help us to understand, help us to see more clearly Jesus, who you are, and help us to rest in you. Give us eyes to see that in your humanity you lived perfectly. Oh, God, we fail so often. And we turn to you as our Savior, as our hope. Lead us on, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.